For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and welcome to this soul-stirring exploration of a first-hand account of what happens after we die. Have you ever contemplated the profound mysteries that unfold after we depart from this earth? Well, today we are going to delve into the heart of this spiritual enigma with after death a feature film that unveils some of the mysteries that surround the afterlife. So in discussing after death, we confront the challenge of deciphering this sacred question, what awaits us beyond this physical existence? And the, the quest to find this out is illuminated by the accounts of believers, guided by faith and those touched by divine divine encounters. But how do we embark on this sacred journey ourselves? Well, the solution lies in embracing the wisdom of a real-life testimonial. And joining us for this discussion is Dr. Mary Neal, whose own personal experience with encountering life after death is featured in the film. So we are so glad that Dr. Neal could join us today to share her experience because avoiding this topic uh, of exploration may leave us spiritually impoverished, you know, missing the opportunity for a deeper connection with our creator. So without confronting the mystery of life after death through a Christian lens, we risk neglecting the spiritual truths that shape our eternal destiny. So we are not going to shy away from learning more about this topic. Imagine yourself in hearing Dr. Neal's testimony and learn more about the movie After Death in this interview. Dr. Mary Neal is an analytical board-certified orthopedic spine surgeon whose spiritual skepticism was transformed when she had a profound near-death experience and gained profound insight into many of life's big questions. The remarkable story she shares is one of hope and great joy. She currently lives and works in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where she and her family enjoy everything the outdoor world offers. Mary's story has been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, the Oprah Winfrey Show, NBC, Fox News, Huffington Post, Christianity Today, CNN, USA Today, and others. So please welcome Dr. Mary Neal. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> oh, I am so excited to, to meet you because I just want to say, start out by saying that my husband and I went to the movie theater to see the movie After Death based on a recommendation from his boss. And we both just absolutely loved it. We found it so fascinating. And 
it just corroborated so remarkably with another interview that I had done previously with a gentleman named Ian McCormick, who also had a near-death experience and is a survivor of that. And his story is so powerful as well. So I said, we have to have someone on the show to talk about this documentary style movie. So thank you so much for joining. Oh, it's always a privilege. Uh, Absolutely. um, Dr. Neal, why don't you just start out by telling us about your own personal near-death experience? Well, it's going to be a very, very abbreviated version (laughs) because otherwise it would take several hours. Uh, But in a nutshell, my husband and I went down to South America, to Chile, to go kayaking. And whitewater kayaking is something that we had done for decades. We kayaked all around the country internationally. This was something we did. It wasn't, you know, a crazy sort of, you know, fly by night kind of thing. And we had friends uh, who are professional boaters. They own a raft and kayak company who had run trips to Chile for kayaking for decades. I mean, this was a a well-worn path. And so when our youngest son was finally old enough that I felt we could leave town without our kids, um, which was, of course, a magical day, uh, we decided to go down with them and kayak for a week, which we did, and had a glorious time. And what was going to be our last day of kayaking anyway, we had decided to kayak a section of river that's well known for its waterfalls. And, you know, I don't mean crazy waterfalls. And I will tell you the single thing in the movie After Death that makes me a little uncomfortable is the scene that they put in of a waterfall because it was not that kind of a waterfall. These are drops of 15 to 20 feet, which for a kayaker are challenging and exhilarating, but they were well within our skill set and they're not crazy sorts of things. You know, it's not like Niagara Falls. Or yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually my husband for the first and only time in his life woke up that day with back pain. So he did not go on the river with us, but I went with these, again, these professional friends of ours and several other American clients. And we went over the first couple of drops and it was fine. And we approached the first more significant drop and we had decided to, uh, go through sort of a smaller part of the the drop because uh, we we're still just kind of getting getting going for the day. And this was a river that's a little bit different than the rivers we have here. It was very high volume, fast current. There weren't really any slow areas, any eddies where you can kind of pull out and regroup. So I, I started down the river and Uh, Another client had sort of uh, bobbled her way past me and and blocked the entrance to this sort of smaller, easier chute. And so my only option was to veer over and go over the main part of the waterfall, which I did. Hmm. (laughs) And as I crested the waterfall, I could see the bottom and I could see, you know, tremendous turbulence, tremendous hydraulics, no clean outflow. And I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be great. (laughs) But what I assumed would happen would be that I would uh, hit the bottom, be flipped upside down because of the turbulence, probably not be able to right myself. But then I would exit the boat, be, 
you know, tumbled around a little bit and spit out downstream. What happened instead was that I rocketed down and the front end of my boat became pinned or stuck in the rocks and the underwater features. And, and the boat and I were then completely submerged under eight to 10 feet of water. And everyone always wonders if I panicked, things like that. But I'm a spine surgeon. I don't, you know, I don't know if I relish high stress situations, but I'm very comfortable with high stress situations. And I, I'm not a panicky kind of person. So no, I didn't panic. I'm a very pragmatic, concrete sort of thinking person. And so I said, huh, okay. <laughs> I tried to free the boat. I tried to free me from the boat. Uh, I tried to do all those sorts of things and very quickly realized that the weight of the water and the force of the current had the top half of my body absolutely plastered to the front deck of the boat. And nothing I was doing was going to make a difference. And I also knew that I was too far from shore for anyone to come and rescue me, that kind of a thing. And it's a funny thing because it would be very easy for me to say that I just gave in or gave over to God. I mean, people assume that it was a very passive thing, but I very actively knew that I had a choice. And I actively asked for God's will to be done, regardless of what the outcome was. Living, dying, didn't matter. And I can't explain the intensity of the active choice, but it wasn't a passive choice like, oh, hey, I have no other options, so I guess I'll go with plan B. <laughs> you know, This was a very active choice. Um, and it was profound because, you know, we all, if you grew up in a Christian church, you say the Lord's Prayer and you ask for God's will to be done. But, you know, come on, none of us ever mean it. I mean, I was, uh, you know, well-educated, self-reliant, et cetera, accomplished, and certainly didn't think I needed God in the picture. I mean, you know, it was nice. And I took my kids to church, but it was sort of more as a, you know, to give them a moral foundation and that sort of thing. It wasn't because I thought I needed help, <laughs> if that makes sense. And, you know, of course, we always ask that God's will be done on our own timetable and all that kind of thing. But I gave all that up and very actively asked that God's will be done. And the moment I asked that, I was immediately overcome with a very physical sensation of being held and comforted and reassured that everything was fine. My husband would be fine. My young children would be fine, regardless of whether I lived or died. And the first really profound aspect of this experience for me was the recognition that I was being held and comforted by Christ. I was a good person. You know, I bought into the concept of being honest and ethical and a woman of integrity and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I... I I was no religious zealot. I mean, we we talk about the fact that you don't earn God's love, but of course, none of us ever really believe that because we live in a world where love is conditional. But there I was. You know, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But I was being held and God's love was so purely poured into me and enveloping me. And I knew that it would be true for any person who asked 
Any person who turns toward God is embraced. It's the prodigal son concept. I mean, not just given a feast, but so purely and completely loved. Um, I mean, my experience could have stopped there and I would have been profoundly changed. But then we went through a life review and, and I have to tell you, at this point in my life, I had not personally known anyone who died. I had been exposed to death through patients and, you know, my medical training and that sort of thing. But I hadn't known anyone who died. So I never really thought about death. I certainly didn't have any preconceptions about what it would be or anything like that. I'd never really thought about it. And a life review, I mean, I, I probably would have imagined the Hollywood version, you know, where you feel really good about some things and then some things, you know, maybe not. <laughs> but this life review was nothing I could have imagined. It had everything to do with understanding and compassion and grace. It really didn't even have anything to do with forgiveness. Because what I discovered is that, you know, when you understand someone's backstory, including your own, it's not a matter of forgiveness. It's just that all those destructive emotions of whatever, anger, bitterness, shame, guilt, remorse, they just disappear. Because when you understand what's going on, you, you just don't, I mean, those destructive emotions just don't exist. I mean, the classic example is, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic and, and you're going, ah, you jerk. But if you actually knew that person was on their way to the emergency room because their loved one was dying, well, you wouldn't be irritated. In fact, you'd help them move people out of the way. <laughs> I mean, it was really just this profound experience of grace, True, truly what I think grace is. And then eventually uh, I could feel my spirit kind of peeling away from my body. And eventually Jesus sort of released me to the heavens and I rose up and out of the river and, and was greeted by a group of somethings, people, spirits, beings, you know, those words mean different things to different people. So I'm never really quite sure what to call them, <laughs> but I knew they were there for me. They were so overjoyed, absolutely overjoyed to welcome me and greet me and shower me with, again, this intense, pure, unconditional love that emanates from God. I mean, they, they were wearing these robes that were woven together with fibers of love. Love was everything. Love was all there was, really. And I knew that these people, again, whatever you want to call them, had been important in my life story, had known me as long as I've existed. I didn't recognize them because as I said, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't known anyone who died, but I knew that, you know, maybe it was a grandparent or a neighbor who died before I was born. I, you know, it's people, I knew they were people who had been important in my life story and they were just so overjoyed. It just, I mean, intense. And it, I had this overwhelming feeling of being home, you know, being where I really belong, where we all really belong. And it was so beautiful 
I mean, just absolutely beautiful. And, and one of the things I love about near-death experiences and, and really every other profound spiritual experience is that they're simultaneously all the same and different. You know, we all talk about, for example, intense beauty, but the details are a little different, which to me speaks truth rather than a physiological process. You know, if you break your arm, I can pretty much tell you what your experience is going to be. But with these, the differences reflect the differences in individuals. Here on earth, you and I may see beauty very differently. My husband and I see beauty very differently. Beauty that moves him has to do with music and, and that sort of stuff. Whereas for me, what really speaks beauty into my very heart and can make me cry is the intensity of color and the delicacy of flowers and the aromas of flowers. And that's what I experienced. I absolutely believe that God knows us completely. Every hair on our head knows our intellect, knows our personality, knows us and presents to us the experience that will speak to us, that will make us feel known. And so I, I saw colors that were not, like nothing I've ever seen here on earth, uh, flowers and the aromas. And there was a shift in time and dimension. I mean, really, um, we exist here in this three-dimensional world with chronological time sequence, but God's world is different. There is no time. It, it's, I don't know, everything is in the present tense. I mean, there's no chronology. And so I was able to experience everything, see every color, all of this kind of all simultaneously, but independently. And I know that doesn't make sense, really. I mean, it doesn't happen here. Um, but it's like all of eternity is really contained in every moment. I don't know. It's a, I don't know how to explain it. But anyway, so eventually they took me down this path of all these colors and flowers and toward this great dome structure that I knew was the point of no return. And I knew that that was truly home. You know, I describe where I was as heaven, you know, God's world. I don't know what to call it. But it was almost like it was the, the ante room. It was like the mud room, you know, <laughs> it's like, but which was good enough, believe me. And we, we got to the threshold of this sort of this structure of sorts. And I was there for what felt like many, many hours. And during that time, had this complete understanding of the divine order of the universe, how it all works, how there can really be a God who knows completely and fully each and every one of the billions of us on this planet loves each one of us as though we're the only ones <laughs> and has a plan for each one of us and for the world that's one of hope. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And I, you know, I would have stayed right there forever and been oh. very content. But eventually I was told that it wasn't my time, that I had more work to do on earth and I had to go back to my body. And I, I mean, I already told you I'm a 
self-reliant person. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. I can stay. You know, Jesus told me everything would be fine. So I can stay. Uh, but it was at that point then that, uh, that people who had taken me there gave me this kind of laundry list of work yet to be done. Mm-hmm. And I will say there's nothing on the list that I thought would be fun or, um, I mean, everything on this list was going to push me out of my comfort zone in one way or another. And the most challenging, uh, of course, is being told about the coming and unexpected death of my oldest son, oh. who at the time was only nine oh. and healthy. I mean, no reason to think he wouldn't live to be an old man. Uh, and when I asked the obvious question of, you know, why? I mean, why my son? I was immediately taken back to my life review in which I had also been shown again and again and again the truth in God's promise that beauty does come of all things Mm -hmm. and reminded that it is always a matter of trust. You can trust the truth of God's promises, or I should say you can choose to trust the, the truth of God's promises or not. And that's a choice that we have to make minute by minute, every day, every week of our entire life. Mm -hmm. And with that, then I was taken back to my body and reunited. And then there were, you know, several weeks of incredible miracles that happened after that. But I'll sort of end it at that point for the moment so we can uh, get into some of the issues you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's such an... There's a lot to unpack. It's, it's, <laughs> it is. It's mind-boggling. And the. Uh, I guess it was such a tremendous um, experience that you had, but it also comes, it feels like with a, a load, a responsibility. I mean, knowing information like that and that was coming... Well, we had something... That I find, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you touched on something that I find um, really intriguing because one thing that many people ask is, okay, well, many people have sort of a clinical or subclinical death and are resuscitated. So why doesn't everyone come back with a near-death experience? And on one hand, you can say, well, you know, it only occurs to 13% of people. I actually believe everyone who is resuscitated has had a profound spiritual experience. I think the real issue is how many people come back and are allowed to remember it. Mm. Because, you know, it's a mixed bag, as you say. Mm-hmm. There. <laughs> You know, everyone always says, oh, I'd really like to have a profound spiritual experience. But the fact is, every person and I, you know, I've spoken with thousands of people who have had profound spiritual experiences at this point. And everyone says the same thing. It's a mixed bag. There, There's the obvious, you know, awe-inspiring, wonderful part of it. But there's also the heavy burden of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do it? What are you going to do with your experience? How are you going to use it to reflect God's light to the world? I mean, there's a a lot there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, that was one thing I I did want to ask you was how did this whole encounter reshape your priorities, your daily life, your relationships? Oh, my. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Well, I will tell you that. Uh, where where do you even begin? <laughs> everything, you know, everything about what I am changed in the sense that uh, prior to this experience, if someone said, oh, you know, who are you? What are you? I would have said, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a spine surgeon. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm, you know, all those sorts of things. But I know that my only identity, the only identity that I actually care about is first and foremost, I am a beloved child of God, period. And everything else, yes, it is a joy and a privilege to be a wife and mother and all those things, but those are all a distant second. Mm. Um, But more importantly, um, when I was still on the threshold of this sort of dome structure of sorts and had this incredible understanding of how it all works. One of the things that I was shown and understood very clearly is how everything is incredibly and completely interconnected, how everything we do, everything we say, every human interaction matters. It actually matters Mm. how we steward the earth how we treat animals, how everything matters. And so in, in thinking about how my life, my priorities have changed. I mean, it, it's, it's all changed and none of it's changed. As I said, I mean, I, you know, I was, I tried to be a good person before. It's not like I was, you know, a jerk and then I changed. Mm-hmm. But I know that everything matters. We're here on earth and it's this incredible privilege. You know, I'm not going to sit in my little room longing for heaven, longing to go back home to our real home. Being here is an incredible opportunity and an incredible adventure. And I'm going to use it to the best of my ability to learn and grow and reflect God's love to others because it matters. Every day matters. Every moment matters. And so it's radically changed my perspective in 
that sense. Like things don't, you know, nothing much bothers me. I'm not, uh, actually nothing bothers me. <laughs> um, you know, as long as I know that in any given moment, I am doing what I believe God would have me be doing, then really nothing bothers me. You know, one of the most profound transformations for me was shifting from a hope or maybe a faith that God's promises are true to an absolute trust. Mm. Because truly, if you trust God's promises, then everything about daily life changes. Because if I trust that, and you can use whatever words you want, but if I trust that I am fully known and that through that knowledge, God doesn't, you know, he's not angry and bitter. I mean, if I trust in forgiveness, if I trust in grace, then I don't have to focus on my past. I don't have to feel regret and shame and remorse and guilt. I also don't have to have feelings of anger or bitterness because I know intellectually, I know that if I knew everyone else's story, I would feel nothing but some version of love for them. I'd feel compassion. I'd feel empathy. I'd feel something, not anger, hatred, bitterness, etc. Mm -hmm. So my past is gone. My past doesn't put a ball and chain on me. It doesn't limit who I am today. Mm -hmm. Certainly doesn't limit who I can be tomorrow. It doesn't limit, you know, who God knows me to be. I mean, no matter how far away a person thinks they are, they're, they're not. They're, all they have to do is look toward God and they will be surrounded by God's love. You know, I don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. I know, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to die. Okay. You know, that's not so bad. But I don't have to be worried about that. If I trust that God has a plan for my life and for the world, that's one of hope. I don't have to be caught up in all the anxiety about, oh my gosh, you know, what's happening here or there. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I mean, it's just not mine to worry about. It's like that old saying of, uh, oh, I'm terrible about remembering the stuff, but tomorrow has enough problems yes. of its own. So I, don't you know what I'm talking about. Yet. Today has enough problems right. of its own, yeah. And so <laughs> what I find that allows me to do is it allows me to be fully present today in this moment because I'm free from all of those past emotions. I'm free from anxiety and worry. I mean, I, I still plan, you know, obviously I had to put, put you on my calendar and plan for this. Mm -hmm. um, but I hang on to my plans very, very loosely because I trust that if my own plans don't come to fruition, it's because God has something else, probably better, but something else in mind. And as long as I continue focusing on what I believe God would have me be doing, then that's the best I can do. And, and I find that joy is in the moment. You know, I absolutely believe with all my heart that we are meant to live joy-filled lives. But most of us get caught up in all this other stuff mm. that robs us of that joy. Yeah. 
I mean, we just kind of get overwhelmed by it all. But if you can start to shed that, and I think we all can shed that through trust, then you can exist now in this moment. I mean, God, you know, God told Moses, I am. He spoke in the present tense. It's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. <laughs> it's present tense. Mm -hmm. And if we can accept that, I think that's where joy is found. Mm. And it's a joy that, can, you know, can transcend our challenges and struggles and really change our perspective. I mean, I don't, I don't like challenges. I don't like struggles. I mean, like, you know, be reasonable here. Mm -hmm. I don't want any. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but if you trust that beauty will come of it, mm -hmm. then even in the midst of challenges and struggles and loss, you can still feel incredible gratitude and joy. Um, so that was a very long answer to mm -hmm. your, your question. But, you know, it's a it's a transformation that is uh, part of every breath. You know, hoping or having faith is a very different thing, I believe, than making a choice, collecting enough evidence to choose to trust. Because how, I mean, you and I have both had plenty of friends who have a quote, strong faith, and then they face something, a death of a loved one or their own imminent death or something. Mm -hmm. And then their faith is either shaken or they lose their faith. Well, you know, my contention is it's because it was a, it was based on the external they never made the transformation to truly trusting. Mm. Um, so <laughs> uh, you speak such words of, of hope and encouragement. It's incredible. You know, one thing that you said that caught my attention was, and it reminds me of this other book that I read that was what's one thing that you can't do in heaven. And that was evangelize. That's like to share your faith. And right. I can imagine, um, you know, you, do you feel uh, a different calling to do that? I, obviously, I would think now than previously. And Well, I think um, the answer, of course, is yes. Mm -hmm. But I also think that different people are called to evangelize in different ways. Sure. And I know that for me personally, and whether it's my personality, my baseline personality or my baseline um, skepticism and my feeling that, that we're all the same. I mean, my passion is really not to, you know, sort of beat people over the head. Right, right, right. I mean, no, my, yeah. My passion really is just to uh, provoke people to think Yes, because I do believe we are created in God's image and we are given the ability to think analytically. And I think that's a gift. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we're expected to use our brain and to think about things and to dig in. I mean, I, I know that for me, for example, I never expect or hope or want anyone to take me at face value. I mean, I don't take other people at face value, mm -hmm. 
what I hope is just to provoke, to provoke thinking and maybe shift someone's perspective just a little bit. Because I think that, it, you know, it's so easy to get dug into what your opinion is. And then pretty soon you realize that actually you don't even know why you hold that opinion. You don't even know why you believe what you say you believe. And my form of evangelism is really to say, okay, you know what? Do the work yourself. Like, don't believe me. Don't believe your pastor, your preacher, your priest. Don't believe anyone else. Actually do the work yourself. Because I absolutely know that God is real and present and working in every person's life, no matter who you are, no matter whether you believe it or not, whether you want God's presence or not. That's a whole nother conversation. But I absolutely know that God is present and working in every person's life. And so what I encourage people to do is say, fine, you know what? Yes, reading the Bible is great. Yes, going, you know, reading books, going to movies, talking to other people, that's all really, really good. But even more important for transformation is to say, okay, let me challenge that opinion of mine, or let me challenge that belief, and let me look in my own life. Let me look backward in my life and try to see if I can find God's presence, because I don't think God's there. You know, I mean, for some reason, we all tend to think that miracles, for example, happened in biblical times, but they don't happen now. Well, I can assure you, not everything's a miracle, but miracles happen. Yeah. Miracles happen in every person's life. But you have to usually look retrospectively to see them, or you have to prospectively start writing down all those things that you think, oh, that's weird. Huh. Wow. Strange. You start writing all those things down and then in a year or two, you look back and go, oh, wow. Because every person has things in their life that statistically are so improbable that it can't be anything but a miracle. Hmm. So that's my way of evangelizing is really to try to, you know, try to reflect God's love, but then really try to just present different perspectives. Sure. And try to shift a worldview to say, huh, maybe, maybe there really is a God. Let me look at this. And, you know, that may be based on my, my world. I mean, I'm surrounded by scientists. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? That was kind of how I wanted to ask you one question about sort of the whole science, you know, as a doctor, yeah. how has your medical background influenced, you know, your understanding of this whole near-death experience. Right. And I, I I was really intrigued as well in the movie about how they kind of explored, you know, what happens with the brain and right. Um, but tell us in uh from your own perspective. Yeah. I will tell you that when I uh was sent back, I mean I was in terrible shape. You know, I had multiple broken bones. You know, I couldn't walk. I was in the hospital, ICU for a month or so. I was in the hospital for even longer. I mean, it was, I don't know, probably six or eight months before I, you know, was like walking and sort of functional. Mm. 
it was a long process. And when I came back, I really, I mean, I spent my many months of rehab trying to find a different experience or a different explanation. You know, I really didn't want mine to have been a spiritual experience because I knew that if I could find a medical or physiological ex ex uh, explanation, which now, of course, I just call them excuses, but <laughs> if I could find anything else, then I would be able to discount everything I'd been told, including what I'd been told about my son's coming death. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went back and I looked at the original research on every possible explanation anyone's ever given for near-death experiences. I didn't even know what a near-death experience was when this happened. I'd never even heard that term actually. And I will not very graciously admit that, you know, at that time in my life, if someone had talked about this stuff, I would have just not outwardly, but inwardly, I would have been rolling my eyes and just think, oh, whatever. I mean, that's a little woo-woo. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, like this, I was not, uh, definitely not really open to the concept. Um, uh, but when I came back, I really tried to disprove my own account because I certainly wouldn't believe it had I not lived it. And after going through everything, ultimately had to conclude that it had been a true and spiritual account. And one of the things that I came to realize in that process is that we're all given this, this false dichotomy of choice. We're sort of not overtly, but we're sort of told that you can choose either or. You can either believe in science or you can believe in God, or you can choose faith. And, you know, science is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, science is real. But here's what people seem to miss, is that science and faith, or science and spirituality and spiritual truth, have always coexisted very easily because they address different things. Science will always be the way through which we try to figure out how everything works. I mean, might one day we actually understand what triggers a near-death experience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Physiologically, we might. We haven't yet. But perhaps. But spiritual truth will always be the way by which we uh, talk about meaning and purpose and, and the whys. Mm -hmm. Like, Science can tell you how something happens, but only spiritual truth can tell you why it happened. And so I th they coexist very easily. And I think that anyone who focuses on one at the exclusion of the other is shortchanging themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. It's so, um, it, it, I find it, you know, that God has a sense of humor in the sense that he would pick you, right? A skeptic. And, but that's, what's so beautiful about your testimony is you. Well, I'll tell you the other part. I mean, God actually has a sense of humor because even though, you know, I'd never really thought much about death. The only thing I will say is that throughout my life, you know how every so often 
I don't know, maybe kids or something would say, oh, I, you know, I don't care how I die as long as whatever. Some people say, as long as I don't get hit by a car, as long as I, whatever, I don't want cancer. My thing was always, I don't care how I die as long as I don't drown. <sighs> because, and I'm a water person. I mean, I grew up swimming. I mean, I'm a water person. But I always thought that drowning would be the most terrifying, mm. horrible way to die. And so I will say when I was underwater, the irony was not lost on me. Because at one point, I remember thinking, are you kidding? Of all the things, like, what? I'm drowning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And the, the remarkable thing was, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, I never had fear or panic or any of that. I never felt um, alive and then dead. I never felt conscious and then unconscious. I felt alive and then more alive, or conscious and then more conscious, mm -hmm. which is the exact opposite of anything I would have assumed. Yeah. And, and, you know, many of the other people in the film also uh, indicated that as well. Uh, incredible. Um, I wanted to just ask you one thing, and I know we're going to run out of time here, but in your experience in working with this movie and, and you said you've talked with so many other people, um, the fact that you, didn't experience when I say the dark side or the evil spirits part of it. Um, is that something that like has resonated with you as well after hearing other people tell their testimonies? Well, I've heard, as I told you, I personally have heard thousands of people's stories and definitely there are some people who, had negative or hell type experiences. And the thing that's remarkable to me about them is that every single one of those people was pulled out of that experience by God's love. Mm -hmm. And every single one of those people, all they had to do was for a nanosecond, think about God, think about Jesus. All they had to do was uh, to make a choice, really, to turn toward God. Yeah. You know, I, I basically, I don't talk about what I don't, didn't experience, what I don't know. And, you know, for most of spiritual truth, we don't really understand it. And, you know, people pontificate, but they don't know, like, you know, people can say whatever they want, but if you don't really know, then you don't really know and shouldn't really talk about it. You know, I think that uh, the people I know who had a, a frightening uh, experience would readily admit that they put themselves there. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. Didn't have anything to do with anything I personally experienced. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, if you're listening to this interview, I sure hope you'll check out the movie After Death because there, there, there is just a broad range of different type of experiences in the documentary that are there are. And, you know, that's, that's what I think is so wonderful <clears throat> about profound spiritual experiences 
whether it's a near death or after death or whether it's a deathbed visitation. You know, I touch on that a little bit in uh, my first book, To Heaven and Back. And then also a lot of these questions I talk about in my seven lessons from heaven. I get into them in a little bit more depth. Um, but the wonderful thing is that um, even though after death touches on, I don't know, maybe um, five or six stories, the fact is near death experiences occur universally across cultures, across socioeconomic uh, divisions, across faiths. If someone shows up that that is identified as a divine being, it's Jesus. 75% of atheists encounter someone that they identify as Jesus. I mean, God is present in the whole world, <laughs> you know, not just in Christian America. God is present in the whole world. We are all absolutely beloved children of God, every one of us. And it just, I mean, it break, it's heartbreaking to me to see people, you know, in your own neighborhood, in your own community, in your own church group, in your country, the world. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not about division. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you will hear every single person say in the movie After Death is that it is all about love. Yeah. It is love first and foremost. Oh, I think that's. Uh, a beautiful way to kind of wrap wrap this up. And if you want to mo know more, you can definitely go see the movie. Do you yeah. um, you want to let them know like where they can go to find out more information about the movie? Uh, it's put out by Angel Studios, and so you can go to Angel Studios forward slash uh, Life After, and there you can see the trailer. You can see where it's playing and you can get a little bit more information. Okay. Awesome. Well, we will make sure we put links in there. I'm going to put a link to your two books, a link to the film, a, a link to this other interview that I did. Uh, you'll be able to find all that in the show notes. Well, before we go, I just want to ask you real quickly, yes. a couple of our favorite Bible study tool questions. What Bible is your go-to Bible? What translation is it? <laughs> well, that's actually a difficult question because as you well know, Bible translations are all over the place and you, you know, there are ones that try to translate word for word, others that translate thought for thought, others that paraphrase it. Mm -hmm. And none of them are original, right? Because Jesus didn't write it down. And he didn't even have punctuation. <laughs> so I, I read every translation um, with just a little bit of question mark. And so typically if I'm reading, I will read the thought for thought, like I read the NIV, um, because I think that that uh, is a reasonable start. And then I, I typically I read, I have physical copies of the NIV and the English standard, which is a, you know, literal translation. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have those as physical copies that I use 
but I will tell you that I'm an electronic person. <laughs> and so I typically read um, electronically. Mm -hmm. And so then I can have, you know, three or four or five versions. I'll have my, you know, the go-to uh, are the two, the, the NIV and the English Standard. And if it's then something that I have a question about, or I think, huh, like, I, I don't really understand that, then I'll be able to read three or four or five different versions. So I love it. Yeah. Um, because I think that all the versions, you know what, it's like denominations. They speak to different people differently. And I absolutely believe that God meets us where we are. And I'm all for all the denominations. I'm all for all of the versions because I know that God can make you hear what he wants you to hear. Mm. It doesn't matter what you're reading. You know, I mean, just even in speaking, I can't tell you how many times I finished speaking and someone comes up and says, oh my gosh, it really hit me when you said X, Y, and Z. And of course I smile, but I'm thinking, I never said that. Mm. But, but I believe that they heard that yeah. because the Holy Spirit, you know, if you're reading or listening without asking for the Holy Spirit to help you, then I think, you know, it's a problem anyway. Yeah. So that's a long answer to the, the Bible. Version. Oh my gosh. That's a really is a good reminder for everyone to ask the Holy Spirit. Okay. Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything you'd like to use to? Yep. I'm again, I'm an electronic person. So I use notes. I mean, I, I think that I'm not a, I'm not a good journaler because I'm, I don't know, I can't sit down at a prescribed time and, you know, write. I never, I've never had in my whole life. Um, but I use the little notes app yeah. on my phone mm -hmm. and throughout a day, if something inspires me or I want to look up something, I'll write it down. If I'm in church, you know, I'm always a little nervous because I, people, I don't want people to think I'm texting during church, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, if something is said that, that inspires me or motivates me, I'll write that down. So I use notes a lot because I can then also go back and search. And I also, you know, I typically read uh, my Bible on my Bible app. Great. You know, I, I love that. I use it for, you know, daily messages and, you know, reading plans. That was going to be my next okay. question. What was your favorite yeah. app or website? <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I use Bible Gateway a lot. Okay. Uh, if I'm trying to research or understand something, mm -hmm. just because again, you can pull up just about, I think, any version of the Bible you want. You can also go back and look at original. Uh, I don't think they have Aramaic, but you can look at Greek and Hebrew and that kind of thing. So I use that a lot. But then in terms of reading, no, it's the same thing. If I'm in church, um, again, I'm, I'm sometimes a little self-conscious, but I don't really care. <laughs> uh, but, I'll, you know, I always pull up this Bible app and it's awesome. I think a lot of people do now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just think it's so great because you can on those apps, you know, you can highlight, you can make notes to yourself, you can share a, you know, share a verse 
if something moves you, I mean, I love them. I, I, you know, technology has its limitations, of course, <laughs> but I love technology. Yeah, I do too. Well, Dr. Neal, thank you so much for being here today to share uh, your experience with us. It is really such a privilege. Oh. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, well, uh, for God's glory, right? How awesome it is to, to hold him in our hearts. Um, for our listeners, be sure and grab some friends, family, go see this movie. Take someone who's skeptical. I think it would be a great conversation starter. It's just, it's very eye-opening and, and really makes you examine the possibilities from every angle what happens after death. So we will include a link below to where you can purchase your tickets. So thank you again, Dr. Neal. Thank you for listening, everyone. We love you all and appreciate you listening. Have a blessed day.